want us to pray, we're going to do our third and final preach from Daniel chapter 7. So it, you can turn there in your Bibles, I'll be reading from it very shortly, but I just think it'd be very helpful for us to pray together uh, for God to really lead us and speak to us and help us. So let's ask him now. Father, we just come to you and we thank you so much for how you've been with us so far this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you we can know you. Thank you for the things you've been showing us through this powerful chapter of the Bible. Lord, we just say, open the eyes of our hearts right now. Let's encounter you in your word. Lord, we so need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we're going to be reading from uh, Daniel chapter 7 and going to jump in literally on verse 11. So we're kind of midway through. Um, in a whole line of, well, we've just had the bit which Paul preached on, and please, please, you weren't here last week, please listen to that, look at that. And Paul gave us that incredible vision of the ancient of days. So having gone for that mighty vision, we start with um, kind of an interesting linking bit. Then I continue to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Can I just say, if you're visiting this morning, we don't normally start our readings with a verse like this. Okay, so please listen to the rest that's gone before. Okay. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Occasionally here where we live, uh, we get clouds, okay? Just, to, just occasionally. Uh, sometimes we get very heavy, dark clouds that are very foreboding, they're very ominous, but sometimes on days like that, you just get these shafts of sunlight that just break through. And somehow the sky is all the more dramatic. It's a, it's a photo opportunity. And that's where David Stevenson wishes he had his camera with him to get the award-winning photo. Okay? I wish I had one to show you now. And as we read this chapter, it feels like that. There's these dark, ominous clouds that we've read about, Beasts, that's where we started the reading. 
But then we get these shafts of, of, of sunlight of actually just rays from heaven itself that just break through. And it makes all the chapter, it makes the chapter all the more dramatic. And it helps us to know where to look. And one of the dark clouds we read about here is this beast. And it's just interesting to note the boastful beast. Pride is at the heart of so much that is wrong. It was at the roots of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan himself spoke with a voice of pride. Did God really say? And that first man and woman responded with a proudful heart. And throughout history, the story of the world, pride's been at the root. And here we see the boastful beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. And behind what Daniel was seeing, in terms of empires then that rose and fell, we need to look beyond that and see the big cosmic story that Jesus has overcome the beast. He's dealt with the enemy. He has crushed Satan under his Glory, thank you. <laughs> he has crushed Satan under his foot. Paul writes to Colossians and talks about how on the cross Jesus there forgave us our sins and he actually disarmed the principalities and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. This strange dark cloud that we start this section with, we read through the light of the New Testament and we know, and Revelation tells us, that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Glory. And then we get this shaft of light. We saw it as Paul opened up last week. One of the shafts that breaks through is the Ancient of Days and all that that means. And then we get another shaft that comes through, a shaft of light from heaven itself, which is this, the Son of Man. This is verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked. Just pause there. At night, I looked. Obviously, for Daniel, that was a, a very literal. It was nighttime, and he had a vision. He looked. But I think we can just take that phrase, at night, I looked, and we can use that figuratively of the days that we're living in. We're living in dark times. It's night time. You can actually read when Paul writes to the church in Rome, in Rome, he actually speaks about, and the night is almost over. The day is coming. He uses that imagery. 
And then later when he writes to the churches in Ephesus, he, he writes a similar thing, the days are evil. Night describes the days that we live in. Darkness. At night, I looked. It's interesting, he saw something at night time. And in these days of darkness, God wants to show us something. Or more than that, he wants to show us someone. I looked, and before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. This brilliant shaft of light breaks through, and, what do we, and who do we see? The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And we read that he's one like the Son of Man. And that's a phrase that speaks of both divinity and humanity. He comes with the clouds of heaven. That phrase, it speaks of divinity. There's another one who is God, who is with the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man. He can approach the Ancient of Days. He is given everything. All authority, all glory, all power, all dominion. He is God. God himself. And yet, he's like the Son of Man. It is human likeness, resemblance. Fully God, fully man. The Son of Man. And that phrase, this actual phrase, it becomes a, like a, a massive key. You know, sometimes you see historic houses and baronial halls and whatever, and you, you, there's a massive old keys, aren't they? You put in the door and you turn it and you open out and you, know, you, you step in or you step out. Well, actually, this, this verse, really, it becomes a key that we insert in, we turn, and it swings wide open. And when we walk through the door, we step about 500 years on. And we can step into a house in Capernaum. It's packed, absolutely packed, heaving, rammed. And have all these people have come and they're listening to the preacher. They're listening to his teaching. But there's four guys... Oh. <laughs> There's four guys there, and they love and care for their friend who's paralyzed, and they want to get their friend to the preacher, to the teacher, because they think he might heal him. And the only way they can think of doing it is that they make this hole in the roof, and they lower down their friend, and actually he becomes center stage. And the preacher, the teacher, does something that surprises everyone. He forgives this guy his sins. 
Son, your sins are forgiven. And in that mix, in the crowd, there's teachers of the law who are shocked because that, it registers something that is blasphemous in their words, in, in their minds, because only one person can forgive sins, and that's God himself. And Jesus knows what's in their mind. They don't say anything. He knows what's in their minds. And so Jesus says this of... Well, in fact, they do say, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew what was in their thinking. And he says this, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. Now I tell you, get up. He's healed and walk. He's the son of man. And then we can walk a bit further. How many walk through this door? You know, from a house in Capernaum, we can literally, a little bit later, we're walking in, in, in a field of grain. And Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're hungry. And they start picking tops of the grain. And his teachers of the law these Pharisees, they see it. And they pounce again. They don't like it. The Sabbath is being broken. And Jesus answers this, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's the Son of Man. It's Lord of the day. That God made and God commanded. He is God, his Lord. The Son of the Man is Lord. And the Pharisees knew exactly what they're saying. And these dark clouds of anger and jealousy and hatred and murderous thoughts, they just grew and grew and grew from the religious. Because the Son of Man was in town. Such an important title, the Son of Man. Daniel 7 takes us right into the pages of the Gospel. And we find it's Jesus uses that phrase of himself more than any other phrase. Someone has done all the counting and said it's 81 times. And you can almost read any of the Gospels and just read it through. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, Son of Man. And what you find that against the revelation of the Son of Man, the, these dark clouds form again. Until you're in another court. Last week, when Paul spoke, he took us into the courts of heaven. Now, we can read... Now we're taken at the end of all the Gospels, actually. But particularly Mark, Mark 14, verse 62, we find that this Jesus, the Son of Man, is now in the courts of the religious. And 
and they're questioning him. It's charge of blasphemy. They, they, they question him. And it, the high priest commands him and says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then comes the pivotal answer. Here comes that big key again. It's been there prophetically for all those centuries. Jesus answers in the words of Daniel. The exact words. And he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Daniel. What Daniel saw in the night is now being seen on earth. Jesus, the Son of Man, fully God, yet fully man. And he was about to be sacrificed as the Son of Man. He becomes the Lamb of God who lays down his life for his people. In his own words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Son of Man is slain. He dies. It seems like the beast has won. It seems like the night has won. Even as he died on the cross, light was extinguished. Darkness covered the earth. But then he rose. Heaven's shaft of resurrection power broke through and the Son of Man is alive again. Never to die again. He's alive. And then what happens next? He ascends. He's hidden by the clouds. And he ascends before the, and comes to the very throne of God, the Ancient of Days. And he receives his throne. The Son of Man is now seated on the throne. He reigns. And that is fulfilled in the, and so those scriptures from Daniel, they kind of leap off the Daniel pages right into the Revelation pages that he has been given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations and people of every language worshipped him. This hardwires us into Revelation. This is the throne. This is who we worship now. We glory in him. He's worthy of all our praise, all our honour. The Son of Man has been glorified and he reigns. Is this good news? Just a little bit. A little bit exciting. 
Thank you so much, Pauline. Five star. Okay. Listen, let's, let's let this shaft of light just dazzle us. He's now exalted. He reigns. His kingdom will never, ever fail. Remember the whole setting back in Daniel? Kingdoms come, people, kingdoms go. It can be like that today. In the night in which we live in today, there's powers that rise, there will be powers that fall. But where do we look? Where do we look? Do we peer harder into the darkness? Or do we look to the one who's been revealed? Do we look to him? So how do we respond to all this? In very, just in a few moments, we'll be breaking bread together. Let me just suggest these things, a response. See who he is. Let's have a vision. Let's have the right vision of Jesus. Let's not make up a vision of Jesus. There's all sorts of ideas about Jesus out there. And even as Christians, we can, you know, be a little... We don't have a fully biblical view. We need to see Jesus as he truly is, fully God and fully man, worthy of all worship. Let's not have a pocket-sized Jesus, but let's have a Jesus on the throne. We worship him. See who he is. Let's see his work. Let's see this work on the cross as we break this bread, as we drink from the cup. It celebrates he gave, the Son of Man gave his life for us. But we see the resurrection. The cross is empty. We see the resurrection. He's risen and the ascension. The tomb is empty. And actually, that cloud is now gone. He, he went through the cloud. But he'd... Him from the disciples, it is th- it's the throne that is now occupied. Let's see his presence. So a powerful verse in Revelation there, which is, I turned around to the voice of who is speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And that speaks about the church. Those are the churches, the lampstands. It's a heavenly view on church. I saw seven golden lampstands and amongst the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. That's church. That's church. You see, it's not just we believe the right things about the Son of Man. He's in our midst. He's among the lampstands. He's with us. He's with you. 
We know him now. It's amongst the church as we break bread together. We feed on him in our hearts. There's nothing magical about the bread or the cup. But boy, what a moment it is. We feed on the living Christ. He's the one, as Steve brought earlier, who can only satisfy. He's the one that as we feed on him, he lights the fire again in our hearts. Let's see his presence. Let's see his kingdom. In dark days, we need to see the kingdom of God. It's as simple, but it's as profound as that. Let's see that we can live differently in these dark days. That actually, because we know him, and if we're a Christian, he's now in us, then actually we are no longer part of the darkness, but we are now light in him. We can live differently. We can become shafts of light to other people. Because we're surrounded by people who are lost in darkness. They don't know that they're bumping into one another for darkness. There's a hopelessness in darkness. That God wants to shine through us. Remarkable. And then lastly, let us see that the Son of Man is coming again. He's returning. He's returning. In fact, he said to his disciples, who saw him ascend you know, through the cloud, or covered by the cloud, and the angels appeared to his disciples and said, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the early church, they lived without hope. They lived with it. They, 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 their hearts were beating without hope. He's coming again. He is coming. He's coming again. They live with it. Time's gone on. We're nearer to that day now than they were. And it's part of our hope is that Jesus will return. The Son of Man will come in glory. And again, when we break bread, that actually points us forward. It not only points us back to remember that his giving of himself, his broken body, we do this until he comes. That's how Jesus taught us to celebrate it. So what does the rotor for breaking bread look like? Simple. It's until Jesus comes. In the night, phrase so stuck with me this week, in the night, he looked. Where are we looking? The last verse I had in my notes was this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. A scripture that Paul brought just as we were uh, as part of our worship. Let's look to him. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus.
and encourage us as we break bread, that we look to him. We feed on him and we let him ignite our hearts again. Maybe that you kind of feel a little bit I don't know, just things have dampened down, put it that way, in your heart. He's with us. He's with us. And as we take this bread and drink from this cup together, we can feed on him and he can reignite our love for Jesus. Our passion for him. Our knowing that is here, right now, with us. As we break bread, we'll start with breaking bread, and, and then we're going to worship together. I, I do also feel there's a time of praying for another, and. I just want us really to be family together. Okay, it won't be a call forward or anything like that. But if you're wanting prayer, if you think, I just want to respond from those prophetic things God said throughout this morning, ask for prayer, pray for one another. But let's pray in these times of night. We look to him. Let's just give thanks to the Father, shall we? Let's just give thanks for the bread, the cup, everything Jesus gave us to remember him by. Just thank you, Lord, that you are with us. right now that you're in the midst of your lampstands in the midst of the church and Lord I pray that as we share and break bread together as we share and drink from this cup together let's do so looking to you. And Father, I pray as we just share in this simple act of remembrance and let us feed on you in our hearts. We're hungry for you. We need you. We feast on you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord. Amen. Amen.